All right, Roy Jr., you can go to Colt out there at the back door. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles here tonight. I need to make a confession. I feel like I do this every time I get up here. Um, I have issues. People are laughing. Don't act like you don't have issues. Everybody's got issues, right? We've all got issues. Um, I think some of us have different issues than other people. However, I think we all have one issue in common. And I'm going to make an argument that we all have an issue with authority. Everybody has authority issues. Uh, Let me give you an example. Um, I used to be a member of a gym uh, back in Winston-Salem, and um, a a guy would come into the gym and work out with us in the morning, and he was a dentist in in the city. And and I got to know him uh, a little bit, and uh, and I was like, I want to I just want to, you know, have coffee or lunch with this guy. And so uh, one morning we went to, uh, to grab some coffee and um, we were just talking about life and uh, getting to know each other a little bit better. And um, we started talking about our kids and he started to get frustrated and he started expressing his frustrations with his kids. And, uh, and that led into um, uh, me talking about the car rider pickup line. Anybody familiar with these? Um, I would go pick up Titus at uh, our uh, elementary school, and um, and the car rider pickup line was very it was very specific. Uh, there was a lot of rules, a lot of instructions um, that were given out to the parents before school even started, and um, and uh, they, they were like you had to have your your kid's name on the rearview mirror. Uh, the tag had to be up. You had to, to stay in line, listen and abide to the, the traffic patrol as they were telling you where to come in, stay in line, stay off your phone, make sure that you're paying attention, that you, do, you know, those people who like stop and then like they don't go and the whole line's waiting on them, you know, and then it backs up traffic. Um, but inevitably, I would tell him, it's crazy how many people break every single one of those rules, Right. And, uh, and these are adults, like picking up, they're acting like children, but they're picking up their children, right? And, and, uh, and, and I was like, I was like, bro, I was like, what do you think, what do you think is wrong with people? And he was like, I don't know, man. He's like, but people are messed up. And this is a smart guy. Yeah? I mean, he graduated from Chapel Hill. He, he's a dentist, you know, owns an, his own practice. And he was like, he had no clue, no answer for what, what was the problem with people. I said, I think I know what the problem is with people. And I can say it in one word. And he was like, I can't wait to hear. And I said, rebellion. I think rebellion is the number one problem with people. And he was like, well, that's interesting. And, uh, and I said, he said, why do you say that? And I said, we don't like to listen to other people. We don't, like to, we don't like people telling us what to do. We don't like signs telling us what to do. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. We want to go where we want to go when we want to go, right? And, and ultimately, we have authority issues. We don't like to submit to authority. We rebel against all authority. We see it all the time. We, we, we know this is true in our own lives, in our own heart, even if we're like the best law-abiding citizen, right? Like you still rebel inwardly. 
Even if you're obeying outwardly, you rebel inwardly, right? And and, and so what we're going to see tonight in this passage is we're going to see that Jesus has all authority, he, it's astonishing, Jesus' authority in this, in this passage. And I'll be honest, I've, I've read this, I've known this, I've heard this like my whole life, and I've saw some new things. So I challenge you to put some fresh lenses on tonight, see some new things in a very familiar passage. But let's read it together. Um, Mark chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 14 through 20. I didn't tell you that. Um, 14 through 20. Um, and and basically, I think there's three things before we read this. I think there's three things that we see in this. We see Jesus' message, Jesus' mission, and Jesus' authority in, all, in, this, in this passage. So let's pray, and then we'll read God's word together. Father, we praise you right now for being sovereign and in control of all things. I praise you for every person that is in this room tonight. I know that it is not by accident that every person is here tonight. I pray that you would grant to us understanding where we have none. I pray that you would grant to us eyes to be able to see clearly your word where we have not seen clearly before. I pray that we would be able to hear the message of Jesus. I pray that we would be able to be more faithful to the mission of Jesus, and I pray that we would humbly submit to Jesus' authority tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is God's word, starting at verse 14, Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So last week, we we read about Jesus' baptism and temptation, uh, and immediately we're here into G- the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? John the Baptist um, uh, had a ministry of baptism and repentance, we learned, right? But that ministry has ceased because he was arrested. That'll put a damper on your baptism and preaching ministry. Thank you. <laughs> Why was John arrested? John was arrested because someone who had authority hated his message, Right? And it was, it was King Herod, Herod Antipas. He, he was arrested because John had spoken out and rebuked Herod for divorcing his wife for no good reason and marrying his brother's wife. And the Herod didn't like that. Herod's new wife didn't like that either. But John was full of the Holy Spirit. He was righteous. He called out adultery. Right? He spoke out against it and he got in prison for it. Because telling gospel truth is not popular. It wasn't popular then. It's still not popular today. No one preaches the gospel or proclaims the truth, and they're trying to win a popularity contest. Not if they're being true to the text. So what we see at the beginning of verse 14 is really a passing of the baton from John to Jesus when it comes to the preaching of the gospel of repentance. 
And so we, we see it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Jesus proclaimed the gospel. All right, we, we learned the, from the very beginning of this book that the word gospel means good news. So if you rewrote this verse, if you translated gospel into good news, it says, Jesus came proclaiming the good news of God. The good news of God. God has come to proclaim God. That's good news because God is good. Right? We know that this is good news, that Jesus, the one proclaiming the, this good news, is God in the flesh. So God came to bring us to God. This is the, the promised Messiah speaking. Right? The, 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 all of the Old Testament age, all of the, the promises that were made in the Old Testament find their fulfillment or fr- fruition in Christ. Right? So Mark uh, Strauss in his commentary said this, everything is changing. The age of promise is giving way to the age of fulfillment. The age of fulfillment is inextricably linked to the kingdom of God, the submission of all things to the sovereign reign of God. And this is why I believe that the gospel is offensive to human beings because we have authority issues. We don't want to admit that we aren't sovereign, that we aren't in control, that we can't call the shots. We hate not being able to do that. We love acting and living as if we are sovereign. Now, no, not a lot of people walk around. People would say you're crazy if you walked around and you were like, I'm God. I'm sovereign. I can do whatever I want whenever I want, right? But we don't hear people saying that, but we act like it because we, we like to reign. We like to rule over our own lives. But here comes Jesus, proclaiming the gospel of God, making authoritative statements. And what is he saying? What is his message? What is he preaching? Look at verse 15. It says that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So that verse, that one statement is a statement of authority. And so we're going to break it down just phrase by phrase. What does it mean? The time is fulfilled. What's he talking about? It means that the promises have come true. God's timing is perfect. The promised seed of the woman, what we, what we followed this line all the way through Genesis when we were studying through Genesis, the seed of the woman has arrived and is on the scene right now. At just the right time, Jesus shows up. Right? This is a massive statement because this is a critical moment in human history. The promised one, the Messiah has come. He's here. He arrived. The time was fulfilled. Now the kingdom of God is at hand. This was another part of his message. Now the kingdom of God is, is unlike anything in this world because the kingdom of God is not of this world. Now the kingdom of God is seen and the kingdom of God is unseen. Jesus taught both present realities and future dimensions of the kingdom of God. Present because Jesus is king and he arrived. He's on the scene to preach the gospel, to rescue his children. But he was an unexpected Messiah. He wasn't the king they were looking forward to, right? Because he was not just a man, but he was the God-man. He, he didn't come to, to conquer and overthrow any governments or to get rid of the oppressive Roman rule which is what they really wanted. He came to save sinners. He came to give life 
to dead hearts. Author Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, his kingdom has to do with his reign and the lives of his people. It is a spiritual realm and not a political organization. The gospel of the kingdom of God was not about one people group. It was not a geopolitical message. Jesus is a king who looks first to liberate spiritually before physically. We see this still today. He's looking to rule in hearts and lives, not in land. He doesn't need land. Jesus' kingdom is unseen. In Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. So the kingdom was inaugurated at Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, and it awaits consummation in the future. The kingdom of God is one of those present realities. It's an already but not yet reality. We've seen that a lot as we've been walking through the scriptures where we see these truths that are already true but not yet fully, right? It's a present reality. It's also a future hope. We know this to be true because Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. But then later when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, what did he say? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's already happening, but not yet fully. It's already here, but not yet fully. And when we pray for God's kingdom to come, this is what Pastor Paul Washer says. He says, we are petitioning God that his sovereign and rightful rule might become an increasing reality in us individually and in the church collectively that we might surrender the entirety of ourselves to him, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that he might be acknowledged as king of kings in every moment, category, and detail of our lives. One day that statement will be true. We all know, every good follower of Jesus knows, if they're being honest, that you have not loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength today, much less ever since you've been walking with Jesus. We don't do it every day. But one day we will when we see him face to face. We all struggle with the reality of the kingdom of God because there's a war raging. There's a battle going on within us, right? A a battle going on because we love our many little kingdoms. We love to be kings and queens of our own little kingdoms, of our own little world. And that's, that's what we see raging. In the next phrase, Jesus proclaims this. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. This is a radical reorientation of our hearts and lives. This is a trust with a living God. Jesus was telling people what to believe. He's telling people what to do. And he's telling people how to think in this statement. When confronted with King Jesus, the call is simple. Change your mind. Change your ways. If you have a change of mind, it's going to lead to a change of action, a change of behavior. This is a a rational decision. It's a willful act of turning from sin, turning to Jesus. This authoritative call is unambiguous. It does not discriminate. It doesn't care who you are how old you are, what you look like, what your pedigree is. For everyone, it's repent and believe. 
And the only rightful response to this is humble acknowledgement, falling down, bowing down, and acknowledging that Jesus is king. What is he saying to repent and believe in? The gospel. What's the gospel? That's a great question. I'm going to put it in two different ways. All right? If you want to write down the explicit gospel, I, was, I, I remembered this, and I read that book like 10 years ago. But I, I remember this from a long time ago, and, and I realized that the explicit gospel of Matt Chandler is where I learned this. Have you ever like thought you were smart and you, you remembered something? That's, this is where I learned this, okay? The, it, he said that the gospel could be broken down into two ways, the gospel in the air and the gospel on the ground, Right, so the gospel in the air would be what, what some people call the grand redemptive storyline of Scripture. That's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. This would be like the cosmic gospel, right? This is, this is the overarching story of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, this is the gospel in the air. Creation, right? How did we get here? Who made us? Right? The gospel in the air answers the questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. All of those questions that bother us, right? Like, like how did we get here? What, what's the meaning of life? Um, well, what, what went wrong? With the, we see all problems. What, what went wrong? And what's the solution to what went wrong? What's the solution to the problems? How are we going to fix stuff? And destiny, consummation. Like, how, how's it all going to be? restored, made whole, made new. The gospel on the ground is much more simple. It's not as philosophical in the air. That's why it's on the ground. This would be the gospel in a nutshell, all right? God, man, Christ, response. Super simple, right? God, he's the creator. He's sovereign. He's good. He rules. He reigns. Man, creation, but we rebelled against God, the creator. We prefer his creation over him, the creator. Right? We are guilty. And we were created to enjoy life with God and to worship him, but we don't do that by ourselves. We love to worship ourselves. And because of our rebellion, there is punishment there are always consequences for our choices. There's consequences for rebellion. So we see death in the world because of that. And then Christ. Christ Jesus is God's promised deliverer, sent to rescue man by living the perfect life that we could never live. Dying a sacrificial death in our place, a perfect death, if you will, which we could not do. And then defeating the power of sin and death by rising from the grave so that we could once again enjoy life with him and worship him. Now, what's our response to this, this message? It should be repent and believe, repentance and faith, a trust, a humble trust, a humble acknowledgement that we are not God, but that he is God and he's in control, a radical reorientation of our hearts and our minds. This should be the response. Now, repentance could also be described as a turning from something, and faith could be how we turn to something. So you're, when you're repenting, you're turning from sin, and by believing, you are trusting in something. So to turn from sin and turn to God. 
Turn from your rebellion and turn to God. Believe in God. Trust in Jesus. You move from self-rule, self-reign, to Christ is king. Christ rules. Christ reigns. The message that Jesus is proclaiming is central to all of life. And we are to proclaim this same message today. When I was in college, um, I transferred from, from one university to another. I got into Appalachian State University finally um, after a few years. That's where I really wanted to go from day one. And, uh, and so I finally got there, and I didn't have anywhere to live because I was transferring in. My best friend was on the basketball team at App, and, um, and so he asked their coaches if I could live with them for a semester until I found somewhere to live. And so I ended up living with the basketball team. And if you know anything about D1 college athletics, um, D1 athletes live a different lifestyle. Um, a lot of it is very rough. It's, it's crazy. And, um, and they have a lot of privileges. And, and so um, I, was, I was in our, our suite area one day, and I was talking to this guy, and we called him Jay Buckets. We'll refer to him as Jay Buckets. Me and Jay Buckets are talking, and, uh, and we're in his room, and we're just talking about life. Um, and ended up, like, he was, like, asking me about my life, and I ended up sharing my testimony, ended up sharing the gospel with him, and, uh, and he did, he believed everything I said. He agreed with everything I said, and he did not bow his knee to King Jesus, and I said, why, ma'am? Why won't you do it? And he said, because if I do that, then I can't live how I want to live, because he knew that Jesus was king, and if he gave his life to Christ, he knew that Jesus calls for full and total allegiance, for total control over your life. And he's like, if I do that, I can't give up. He, he, I, I applauded the fact that he didn't want the get-out-of-hell-free card. But he was like, I, just can't, I can't be a disciple of Jesus because I want to live. I enjoy living how I am living, and I don't want to give that up. And so he refused to, to bow the knee. I think that's a, that's a really honest look at where a lot of people are. Because a lot of people don't have a problem with Jesus. They're like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe in Buddha. I, I believe in Muhammad. I believe in whatever. Jesus is cool, man. You want to have Jesus? That's cool. But Jesus is not an addition. Jesus is not an add-on, right? Jesus calls for total allegiance, total obedience. He doesn't call for your, a, a third of your heart. He calls for all of it, all of your life, all of your being, everything. And so, like, when I, when I shared with, with Jay Buckets, I realized, I felt like my words fell flat on the ground, and they stayed there in that room. He did not submit to the authority of Christ, right? But when Jesus speaks, he speaks with authority, and his words never fall flat. Why should anyone listen to Jesus? Well, it's because of who Jesus is. Right? We've already learned from 
Zach's introduction to the gospel of Mark from Rob preaching the first eight verses and from Birdie last week walking through the baptism and temptation of Jesus, we already see in the first chapter of the gospel of Mark who Jesus is. The context of this chapter tells us who is speaking and why we should listen to him. We already know that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the son of man. He's the anointed one, the promised one. He's the Lord. He is affirmed by the Father and anointed by the Holy Spirit. So in verses 14 and 15, we see Jesus' authoritative message. And in the next two verses, we see his authoritative mission. Look at it with me. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and, and Andrew, the brother of Simon. So this is Peter and Andrew. As they were casting their nets, they were fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'll, I will make you become fishers of men. So Jesus already knew Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And they knew who Jesus was too. But they weren't following him. Have you ever you know, known anybody like that? They know Jesus. They've heard of Jesus. They've probably read the Bible more than you. But they're not following him. They're not his disciples. They were fishermen. They were working. They were casting their net into the sea. And Jesus said, follow me, which is a Greek idiom that literally means come after me. This is a call to discipleship, to follow a person and not a letter. This was unreal. Y'all, this didn't happen before because rabbis or teachers of the law didn't say, follow me. They said, follow God, follow his word. Look to God. Look to God's word. And here, Jesus is doing something very unusual. He's saying, follow me. This is a statement of authority. Right? G.K. Bill points out, even all of the Old Testament prophets, they never called people to follow them. They said, follow and listen to God. Listen to God's word. So Jesus is making a divine command here by saying, follow me. Jesus is making disciples, and this is what he expects from them. He expects them to follow him, and that he will make them fishers of men. So let's break these phrases down. Follow me, I will make you, and fishers of men. Follow me is, is simply listen to me, learn from me, love me. Listen to me, learn from me, love me. So a few questions. If discipleship, following Jesus, is loving Jesus by being committed to him, does he have your total allegiance? Does Jesus have your total allegiance? Loving Jesus is learning from Jesus. Are his words in your head and hidden in your heart? Loving Jesus is denying yourself. Are you saying no to yourself and yes to Jesus? No to yourself and yes to Jesus. Loving Jesus is taking up your cross daily. Are you dying to yourself daily? Are you putting selfish desires to death? Loving Jesus is obeying Jesus. Are you obeying the authority of the word of God over your life? There's a difference between acknowledging Jesus as king and actually submitting to his authority. There's a difference. People can see it in your life. The discipleship call that Jesus is making here is a radical call. Because it's a call to death. To the death of the self-centered life. To the death of I have authority over my own life. I call the shots. 
death to that. It's a radical call because it's a call to love Jesus more than you love yourself. Love Jesus more than you love your spouse. Love Jesus more than you love your family. Love Jesus more than you love your friends. Love Jesus more than you love anything or anyone in this world. Follow me and I will make you. Means only Jesus can turn a man or a woman into the person he created them to be. You can't give yourself a new heart. Only God can do that. God gives new hearts. God transforms from the inside out. This is the master teacher instructing his disciples for life transformation. A disciple of Jesus is changed by Jesus. If you have not been changed, you're not a disciple of Jesus. He calls for fruit, to see fruit in your life. He makes disciples. And when he makes disciples, this is a beautiful church, he makes disciples in community, not in isolation. Are you meeting with other brothers and sisters in Christ regularly in your life? Are you meeting with other people to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be equipped, to be more faithful, to know Jesus more, to love him more? Small groups are a great way to learn more about Jesus and to actually be changed by Jesus alongside with other people. Follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Disciples of Jesus seek to make disciples of Jesus. In his commentary, Mr. Strauss said this. He said, the image of fishing for people is found in the Old Testament, though always in the context of impending judgment. Y'all remember when we were walking through the Minor Prophets study, we saw those pictures of those people being led away with the fish hooks in their mouths? Yeah? There's a picture of it right here. Jesus reverses this image to one of salvation. This is shocking. To fish for people is to rescue them from sin and death by calling them into God's kingdom. So our mission is to make disciples. Jesus saves us to send us. Or we are called out of darkness and commissioned to be sent into the world to spread the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we listen and learn from Jesus, and if we love Jesus, we're going to look at the world differently. We're going to see people differently. So what is Simon and Andrew's response to Jesus' call? Look at verse 18. It says, immediately, immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is absolutely astonishing, right? This is not normal. And it's also not a one-time fluke, right? Look at, look at the last two verses for tonight, 19 and 20. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boats mending their nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So Jesus' authority is astonishing in this passage, in these three verses, in seeing these guys' response, you see that word immediately, yet again? That means at once they dropped what they were doing and followed Jesus. The authority of Jesus and his words calls for an immediate response. Now, any teacher in the room could testify that their students don't always immediately respond to their teaching, to their commands, to their imperatives. But a lot of times, teachers' words fall flat in the classroom, right? And any parent in the room 
would gladly testify that oftentimes their commands fall flat. They are not heeded. And there's even a relationship there. Can you imagine, I thought about this and giggled this week. Can you, can you imagine if I walked into Andrew's Trust tomorrow morning and I was like, hey guys, uh, stop what you're doing, stop working, and come follow me. They would be like, who is this guy? Like they would laugh me out of the shop, right? They don't know me from Adam. Like they, they have no idea who I am and they would not stop working and they would not come and follow me. They would say, Yo, what, are you, what are you doing here? You don't have any authority here. They wouldn't do it. My words wouldn't be taken seriously. They would fall flat because I don't have authority over their lives. Jesus' words never fall flat. He has complete authority. When he speaks, things happen. We'll see it for the rest of this gospel. It's unbelievable. Now, don't get confused here either. Peter wasn't a pansy, right? He, he was, his nickname was The Rock. And, and James and John weren't pushovers either. Jesus gave them nicknames, Sons of Thunder, because they had volatile personalities, right? So these guys were not yes-men, pansies. You can walk all over them. Jesus' authority is unmistakable. He speaks and acts with the authority of God. And we see the sacrifice of disciples is evident by what they left in order to follow Jesus. They left a successful business, right? Their fishing business was so profitable that they were able to afford hired servants. And they dropped it and they left. What else did they leave? Their father, G.K. Bill said this, he said, true disciples must be willing to sacrifice their life and ambitions for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus does not shy away from making commands and from letting you know it's a sacrifice to follow him. Some people have said that the Christian life is war and we're in a battle. Faithful soldiers are committed and they make sacrifices and obey orders. Back in the day, right, pre-walkie-talkie days, okay, pre-technology days, when commanders of armies would give orders, they would give them on pieces of paper, give them to a messenger to go carry them to the front lines, right? And when those soldiers received those orders, they knew it wasn't the messenger who had the authority. It was who wrote the message, So they didn't look to the messenger. They weren't bowing to the messenger. They weren't obeying the messenger. So when you go share the gospel with someone, you don't have authority. It's God's word that has authority. That's why it's important for us to share his word. And we're just messengers. And we need to heed God's word. And listen to it humbly today. So the question is, how will you respond to Jesus' message and mission. Now, I used to think some, like when you share the gospel with somebody, like they just don't respond. But if someone did respond, you'd be like, oh my goodness, like my new brother or sister in Christ. But then I realized, no, everybody does respond. Everyone responds. 
in one of two ways. You either respond in pride or you respond in humility. The prideful person says, I'm good, bro. I'm not going to bow the knee to Jesus. I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to submit. The humble response is one of adoration, one of thanksgiving, one of worship, one of acknowledging I am not God. I am not in control. I need you. I can't do this without you. I'm lost without you. And they bow humbly before King Jesus. The reality is we will either choose to bow now or later. We bow now in worship or we bow later in fearful judgment because the king's coming back. And every knee will bow. Every knee will bow and acknowledge. Every tongue will say, Jesus is king to the glory of God the Father. This will happen. My dentist friend did not acknowledge Jesus as king over his life. But I'll never forget sharing the gospel with a student on the beach one summer and him embracing the gospel and repenting and trusting King Jesus sitting right there on the sand as the waves are crashing. And he said, what's next? And I said, man, that's a really great question. It's a lifetime of learning and listening and loving Jesus. It's a lifetime of of learning about the gospel, of enjoying the gospel. Because the gospel is so simple that a child can understand it. I said, it's kind of like the ocean we're sitting in front of. The the gospel's like the ocean. The the child can play on the beach and enjoy the ocean, the sounds, the sights, the the puddles that the, the waves create on the sand. But the gospel is also so deep and so vast that we'll never be able to plumb the depths of it. We can enjoy it and explore it for the rest of our lives. That's what's next. A lifetime of discipleship, of scuba diving, of exploring, of learning, of seeing and being amazed at God. When I was in college, I learned uh, from Campus Crusade for Christ that, that spiritual growth comes from trusting in Jesus. And you know how I love acronyms, right? So growth is an acronym. So this is the last thing, okay? Growth is an acronym that I believe every Christian should remember and put into practice, all right? The G means go to God in prayer daily. He wants you to talk to him. He doesn't, every father who is present and loves their children loves it when their children come up and ask them to do things. Allie gets onto me because I still want to do things for my boys that we are teaching them to do that they should be able to do already, but I like to do it for them. But we love for them to come ask us for help. Go to God in prayer daily. R, read God's word daily. Go to the word daily. O, obey. Obey God moment by moment. Jesus said, if you know me and if you love me, you will obey my words. W, witness. Witness for Christ with words. Don't just say, I let my life do the speaking. 
I share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Nope. Because Jesus came and didn't say that. Jesus came what? Proclaiming. Proclaiming the gospel because the gospel, we use words when we share the gospel, when we're witnessing. We must use God's word. And then T, trust. Trust God every day, moment by moment. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Trust the Lord day by day. H, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit affects every single one of these. G-R-O-W-T. Holy Spirit, allow him to control your life, to submit to him daily. You wake up, you are sensitive to his leading and his guiding, to his conviction. Allow the Holy Spirit to empower your life, empower your witness. Jesus himself said, resurrection Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on to you and you will be my witnesses wherever you go. All healthy disciples of Jesus are consistently growing in their faith together. So don't stay a child crawling around on the shore playing in the puddles. Grow up. Dive deep into the gospel. That's where we meet God. And the gospel changes everything because Jesus changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for seeing fit that it would be preserved for us so that we could be here tonight to read it, to listen to your word that never, ever falls flat. We thank you for this message, the greatest news that human ears could ever hear, the greatest information that human brains could ever process. We thank you for this gospel that you came to seek and save sinners and that you have taken our place on the cross, absorbed the right, rightful wrath that was ours because of our rebellion, and that you rule and you reign on your throne right now, and you are so patient. We praise you for this good news. I pray that we would bow our knees tonight and humbly acknowledge that you and you alone are king. It's in Jesus' name we pray.